I want to see that happen, what's happened to Misty, and thank you for sharing. I want to see that happen as many times as possible. I want to see that happen as many times as possible in my lifetime. I want to be a part of that. It's happened to me too, and I want it to happen to others. I want it to happen among us. I want it to happen in our world. You know, one of the most personally impactful environments that I have ever been in was this retreat setting. And in this retreat setting, they did this masterful job of inviting us to participate by um, sharing, being, being transparent, of digging deep. They were asking us to be vulnerable with them, and they were asking for our trust. Incidentally, that's precisely what God asks for you, from you, to dig deep to give him your vulnerability, to give him your trust. And, and most of us like to, we like to believe we do that with God, you know, and, and that's dubious sometimes whether we really do that, but we like to think we do, and it's particularly difficult to do that with other people. So understandably, at this retreat, we all had our various degrees of resistance, to doing that. We would hit our limit and we would have difficulty bringing, breaking down our walls. And, and even those that wanted to, we were so unskilled, unpracticed at digging deep, at being vulnerable, at risking trust for somebody that it was difficult. And so whenever we'd hit that wall and we would, someone in the room would, would, you know, back off or get scared or even defensive or challenge that that's appropriate to even you know, ask for that kind of thing. Uh, one of the phrases that the facilitators use to re-engage us, to, to help us confront whether we're going to participate in our own life and spiritual growth and healing, they would say, we don't have any magic dust here. They'd say, we don't have any of that. What are you here for? And, and I appreciated what they were doing. They, they were helping us to re-engage and decide at the moment when we really needed it, were we going to participate in our own growth and healing? So I appreciate the phrase and the truth that was in it. But when I look back at that environment and countless others that are similar to it, that I could all, all call true church, you know, church, any environment like that that invites that kind of thing with God and with each other, I think they did have some magic dust. I think they actually did. It felt like that at least. See, it was unmistakable and undeniable that they loved us. That no matter who we were, no matter what people group we were part of, no matter what part of our identity we were going to struggle with, whatever was going to come out of our mouth, whatever we had done, whatever we were doing, they loved us. And so they boldly asked for vulnerability and truth because they knew they knew what they were going to deliver. They were going to deliver love. And we were going to need some other things, and we got it from them on that retreat. Advice and guidance and teaching and truth. But we never would have gotten to any of that had they not been a community of people who loved first. So hopefully last week, uh, you have been convinced that theologically this premise you believe in this premise that Christians are not Christians unless they prioritize love first. That that's the greatest command, making the greatest sin, not being loving. I, I said that last week. It's the first time I ever said that, and I just want to say it again. 
Because I think that's important for me to remember that the greatest sin is to break probably the greatest command. That sounds reasonable to me. And so when I am unloving as a person of God, I'm doing something wrong. As a matter of faithfulness to Scripture, as a matter of faithfulness to God, as a matter of, like, faithfulness to the credibility that we carry as the people of God. See, in our country right now, the people of God are characterized by lots of things and anything short of love is on us. That's our work. If you're going to be faithful to Scripture. If you're going to be faithful to God. And so, whatever other command there is, whatever other commands there are from God to explore, to follow, to debate about, and discuss, and figure out, and practice, they're all summed up by one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I know that sounds bold and simplistic, but where do I get that? I, I talked about it last week. I won't re-preach last week, but I get that because I am a super skilled interpreter of Scripture. And so I'm going to read a verse to you, and it's really hard to grasp this. You've got to know a lot of Bible and background to grasp this out of here. It's in Romans 13 where it says, Whatever other commandment there may be, all are summed up by this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. See how difficult that is? Good thing you got me to interpret it. This is, this is what the Bible says over and over. I just picked one of countless ways Scripture, and specifically Jesus, teaches this. Love is the fulfillment of all the other commands. Love is the fulfillment of all the other rules. Love is the fulfillment of all the other law. And love is first. It's first. And they only make sense. Oh, I promised I wouldn't re-preach last week, but I wanted to re-engage with that, that theologically we're stuck. This is the objective truth of Scripture, in my opinion, and you can check that on your own. So the question I want to explore this week, as practically as I can, is now how? Okay, theologically I get love first, but how practically? How do we incarnate that command into our lives as a group, in our ministry as a church that wants to be of Christ? And that dares put a sign like this out front? How, how do I do that communally? And how do I do that individually? How am I going to do that? And that, that's a question that's worthy of your whole lifespan. Okay, all of your energy, all of your resources answering at greater and greater depths for the rest of your life. But I've got about 20 minutes. And so I want to give you some anchors that I think real practically can help you with this. So the first, the first answer the question of how to do it, I think we have to confront who. Who are we talking about here? Whenever Jesus would teach this in Scripture, the people in the narrative would also ask this. Who are you talking? Love my neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Who, who, do you, who are you talking about? Why are we asking that? Because we know we're going to hit a wall of difficulty. And so we want to know, to be faithful to you, God, who do I need to love? And the quick answer is, I'll just jump to the end, everyone. It's just so simple, everyone. It's simple, but it's difficult. That's why it's worthy of your whole life learning how to live. And trust me, God will give you plenty of challenges so that you can grow in learning how to love everyone. I did a study early on when this was kind of uh, surfacing to me 
in my study of Scripture. And I wanted some verses. I wanted some stories. I wanted the Bible to articulate the different categories of people that I'm supposed to love. And I remember finding, of course, we are called to love our families. Right? We're, we're called to that. That doesn't seem arguable, but it can be difficult. Sometimes those we love the most are the ones we treat the worst. That's sin for Christians. But it does say, and I don't think anyone here would argue with it, that we're supposed to, we find verses that say, husbands, love your wives with the highest love as Christ loved the church. Wow. Wives are to love their husbands. Parents are to love their kids. Children are to love their parents. And on and on. We, we get that it includes the nuclear family. So you got to work at that as a matter of faithfulness. As a Christian. When you fail in that, you're in sin. But it doesn't end there. It expands, extends then, and you find lots of verses about this, to the church family. That, and nobody's going to argue with that either, but you, you are going to agree that's sometimes hard, right? Right? It's difficult in the church family to love everyone, but that is something that we're supposed to be known by in particular. And I think there's two applications of this. There's your local church family that you're called to love, and then there's the universal church family, everyone who names Christ. We are supposed to be identifiable on the earth by the unique care and love that we have with each other. But he go, Scripture goes beyond that. It goes outside that, and it says the famous phrase is, love your neighbor. Okay, so that's, that's who we live among. And I think we're starting now to venture into the answer of everyone. Okay, because yes, you've got your literal neighbors that live by you in your apartment or in your, you know, uh, neighborhood or whatever. You got those literal people that you interact with that are neighbors at your workplace and, 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 you know, here locally. But we really live in a global community and you can already sense that Jesus is saying, no, this means everyone. But in case you don't quite get that, he's specifically in Hebrews 13, while he's talking about love, includes strangers. So take everyone in the world that I know, even just a little bit, even if I've forgotten their names, but I take all of them and put them in a group. Everyone else qualifies as a stranger. And I'm called to not forget to entertain strangers, okay, in the context of love. So it truly is, as I did this study, the whole world. And now intellectually, I get that, okay, I'm supposed to love everyone in the world. There's one more people group in that whole world that I will still draw a line and say, ah, that's where I draw the line. And God doesn't expect me to actually love these people. And so, in Scripture, to be clear, they put this category of person in the mouth of Jesus just so that we can't argue with it. And that's to love our enemies. Even our enemies. And I, I haven't put all these references for you, but I'm putting this one because it's so unbelievable. He says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. So it's simple. Who are we supposed to love? Everyone. And this little study really made me have to embrace the extent to which that most important command is to be followed by me if I'm going to be, look at what it does, if I'm going to be identified as a child of God. That's what it says. The inference is here in this verse is, since it says, love your enemies so that you can be a child of your Father in heaven, the inference is, if you don't, you're not. 
I've had more than a hundred conversations, combative conversations with fellow Christians about this with some seriously good stories that I can totally relate to as a human being of why you shouldn't love that person. But that's what it is. And this really shouldn't surprise us. It stems from the very character of God as he's revealed himself to us. In Christ, no less. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. Think about it. If, if God was limited to only loving those that agreed with him or hasn't failed him or doesn't work against him, you know, he would have no one left to love. Not down here. Not standing right here. So God, if we're going to be children of God, we're going to love everyone. So I'm not saying it's easy again. So a few quick tips that I've learned along the way. There's more than this, but these are the ones I'm thinking for today that will help you kind of get your mind around this because love is such a broad word in the English language. So loving, Christian loving isn't liking. Whew! Right? Okay. Loving isn't liking. You don't have to enjoy every single person's quirks and idiosyncrasies. And, you know, you don't have to do that. That's, that's not what love is. Love is an action. It's not a feeling. Okay? Biblical love is demonstrated for us in an action. And that's what we're to do. Demonstrate our love. So loving isn't liking. You don't have to fit hand in glove with everyone you encounter in order to love them in action. Loving also isn't agreeing. We spent most of last week on this one. Would you rather be right or loving? Because if you're right but not loving, you're wrong. That's Christians subscribe to that. It's not reasonable in the world's setting, but it, in here it is. It's exactly what we've signed up for. And so we need to know that loving isn't Agreeing. Loving isn't always a working or reconciled relationship. This, this is important, and I hope some of you have been deeply wounded by someone. Someone has proved their animosity towards you or injured you in some traumatic way, you know, that's betrayed trust. To love them doesn't mean you invite them back into your home or you, you're getting back into a reconciled relationship. That takes two. That takes two and a lot of courage you can't control someone else. They can still be untrustworthy. So loving doesn't always mean reconciled relationship. It always means forgiving because that's for you. That's not really for them. Okay, forgiveness. But it doesn't mean reconciled relationship. Here's another tip that you've heard me talk about sporadically over the years because I'm still growing and learning this, but that's seeing yourself in everyone. Seeing yourself in everyone. Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we've got something deeply in common with every single person in the world, okay? Including that enemy that is after us. I, I just am going to stand as a testimony that when people take the mask off with me, I've heard, I, I keep thinking I've heard everything and then I hear the next thing and I go, okay, now I've heard everything. And, and it's just more and more when you're a safe person, you're gonna hear everything. And I'm just telling you, I haven't heard anything that I can't, when we go deep enough, find myself in that thing. 
So the superficial details of how my sinfulness has expressed itself, maybe it's not as traumatic or obvious or condemnable from a superficial, but I can see myself in everyone. That makes loving everyone like I want to be loved a lot easier. <laughs> a lot easier. So that's a, that's a tip I'll give you. And the next one, last one, tip is kind of associated with that. And it's accept your own imperfections. Accept your own nuances, your own sins, accept your quirks. I mean, accept them like blow them off like they're not important. That's not it. But treat yourself like God does that, hey, I love you anyway. And you're valuable and worthy of the death of a king anyway. Appreciated what Justin said. He, he just, I went, oh, yeah, amen. We're first in line to condemn ourselves. And I'm telling you, the most judgmental or hateful people, when I dig down into their lives and they let me do that, they always, always, always are those who have not owned their own sin, their own difficulties. They have not accepted themselves. And so think about it. This second part of the greatest command is love your neighbors yourself. It's the royal law. The whole law is summed up by love your neighbors yourself, but it's a double-edged sword if not... <laughs> If, if you don't do this, if you don't accept yourself, if you think about it. So if you love someone less than you, okay, if you love yourself over other people, that's just blatantly, obviously anti-Christ, right? That's not Christian. You're to love your neighbors yourself. That's one side. You can't love yourself more than someone else. That's selfish. That's self-centered, self-serving, which is the opposite of Christianity. And on the flip side, if you don't love yourself, then I, I, I don't think lightning will strike me for saying this. Then I don't want you going anywhere near, near that royal law. I don't want you loving your neighbor as you love yourself, the way some of you treat yourselves, the way some of you think of yourselves. I don't want you treating anybody the way you think about yourself. That would be the worst thing. And so... We need to accept ourselves. We need to agree. It's just the way that helps me do that without feeling selfish is just to agree with God at how he sees me. Agree with God with what he thinks of me because he knows everything and he still died. He still said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We're worth accepting our own imperfections and nuances, not just sins, but quirkiness, just accepting. I'm, I'm not going to fit hand in glove with everyone. And just being okay. That doesn't contaminate our worth. This is all so important. So those are just some tips on how to love everyone. But just let me give you a quick anchor on, on a little bit more about the how. The real practical thing. Three things that I think you can remember. The first one is to pray for others. I don't know if you noticed, but back in that verse, the only thing when Jesus says, love your enemies, the only thing he expounded upon on how to do that was to pray for them. Pray for those that persecute you. It's like he knew. No one's going to be able to do this on their own power. No one. And I would put that way before the call to love your enemies. Just loving our families, we're not going to do in our own power. No matter how great they are, we, we, are, we easily slip into, in word and deed, unloving. which is the worst thing. And so... He says, pray. I'm telling you, pray for others. Pray for others. So while love is the closest thing we have to magic dust that can give people, that we can give people so they can heal and grow and live, I think prayer is the magic dust for you to learn to genuinely love, to be transformed. When you hit that wall, 
I mean, prayer is the resource we have that the Bible teaches us provides actual God contact. It's the resource. He can do it a lot of ways, but it's the one where we consciously say, I want this contact with you, and so I'm going to meet with you, and I'm going to interact with you. And trust me, if you will, if you will have actual God contact, you're going to be the one that changes because he's God, and you're going to become more like him, which means you're going to be more loving. Second tip is not just pray for others, but listen to others. So if, if praying for others is what connects you to God so that you can genuinely learn to love others, well, listening to others is a great way to connect others to you and you with others, allowing them to feel loved. There is a difference I have learned in ministry between loving someone and them feeling loved. And sometimes I'm so quick. Do you do this? Well, I mean, I'm doing all I can. They just won't receive it. They won't just participate. And often that's true, okay? We all do need to work hard to receive the love that's being offered us by God, by other people. But I've learned that if I'm really going to learn to love someone, I've got to learn to, when they build walls between me and them, I need to build my wall around them and their wall. I just, I just, need, to, I just need to embrace them, even in their woundedness, even in their refusal to receive it and be ready for when and if ever God lets them dare take down a brick. There it is. It's what God does with us. It's what we got to do as a church. People who are resistant to us for whatever reason, we need to build our walls around them and their walls. And a lot of that can be connected by listening to others. So pray for others, listen to others, and then do for others. You know, not... Being a love first person is not all about inward transformation, okay, that you get through prayer. It's not all about uh, a conversational connection, right, which you get by listening. It's also about service, about meeting very real outward needs. Hunger is a thing, right? Fear is a thing. Just needing help through the door is a thing. There's a lot of outward service. So, so that's, the, that's the little three practical things I wanted to tell you today is pray, listen, do. Pray for others, listen to others, do for others. And I promise you, you will be well on your way to becoming what the Bible says we're supposed to be theologically. It will incarnate in you and through you, and it will take over your life, and it will bless the world and bring the kingdom if you will do these things in getting started. We want to do that, not just you doing that and be that person as you go. We want to organize ourselves in a way that we are doing that as a church, that this is a love first church communally for each other and for the world. So it's not just you doing it, it's us doing it. It's not just all of us doing the individual things that's called on upon for all of us, but it's all of us doing our unique thing that makes us into a body that works together and functions in that way. So if you want to get started, this little formula will help. Praying for others, listening to others, and doing for others. Now there's one more thing that I wanted to mention while we're here that I need to address with you as my church family. Okay, And I'm talking as a leader. I'm speaking for me personally. This is very personal for me. I want to see all this happen. I'm slaving away 
inadequately, but trying to make it happen. And I know I'm speaking for our other leadership here, the ones that are elders and our ministers. I know we're, we're working together. We want to see this happen. But what we need from you is we need you to make room in your life for new friends. We need you to do that. I need you to do that. Honestly, anyone who knows me enough knows I want to be everyone I meet's best friend. And I want it now. <laughs> okay? And, and I want not only to be your best friend, but I want to be your spiritual helper and, and partner and even mentor if I can and disciple maker. Every person I meet, I want to be that. I, just, I just want to be that. And I, but I have learned I have limitations. Time limitations, space limitations, and increasingly so, energy limitations. Okay, and so we've got to do this together. I need you. Our leadership needs you. Everyone who has signed on to this mission needs the whole church to make room. And I, I know I'm speaking, like I said, I know I'm speaking. I've watched our elders and our ministers. They would love to do what Paul says to do, but in a way that Paul did mean, to be all things for all people. But no one can do that in that wrong way. It just means you're supposed to be capable of loving any person that God sends your way. But you're not going to actually literally be able to be all things for all people. None of us are. So church, I need you to make room in your life. I need you to make, carve out room for a new relationship, a new family, a new friend. Need you to die to that. That's what I'm saying. I've been haunted by a statement that one of our ministers brought up that he heard from someone who he encountered in this church, but I think it could be spoken by lots of people. She said, I feel loved here, but I don't feel apart. Now, praise God for the first part of that phrase. There are lots of churches that don't accomplish that. I don't feel loved here is the usual complaint and wouldn't you know it once you master a complaint there's another one to address it's just kind of part of the eternal nature of growing so well done in making people feel loved now we need to make room and help people feel apart and so how do we do that i because the question for all of us is if you'll honor this request and you'll make room for someone new. And I'm not talking about necessarily a new best friend that you do everything with. I'm just saying room in your small group, in your life, in your phone call, in your phone, you know, your phone list and numbers. And also make room for those, even just those momentary opportunities that you have. So the whole span of commitment to others, I'm wanting you to make room. But the big question for all of us, and this is something you can appreciate, I think, that that, uh, that, that you end up asking is, who specifically? Who, who am I called to make room for? When am I driving down from, I'm driving down the street and there's a stranger and is this my turn? Is that a prompting from God? That one's not, this one is, which one is it? Two, oh, a new person has asked me to disciple them or to mentor them or just to join my small group or be in my life or to go to lunch. Who? Because we all are limited. You've heard me say we're like Legos. You know, you've got about six contact points that you can really navigate, that you can maintain intimately. You can have less intimate relationships the farther the circle goes out, but who? Well, I'll answer that by using these same words 
with a slightly different slant that will help you with that. And this will take some faith and a spiritual life. Rather than just pray for others, listen to others, do for others, pray to God. Listen for God and do what God says. And thanks to my sister, Charlotte Sheets, for giving me a book. She was tuned in last week and she gave me a book that had those three words I was going to preach on this week. And in the first chapter, she said, and I thought it was going to be reinforcement of what I was saying, but it, it reminded me of this other application. See, praying for others, listening to others and doing for others, that will lead you right into becoming a love first person in us and a love first church. But so will this. So will this. You pray to God, you listen for God, and you do what he says, and it will lead you right into loving the world because that's what he is about. God so loved the world that he sent his son, but he's not done. God so loves the world that he's sending you. He's sending the body of Christ still. And so we need to do this in both ways. So let me dismiss our elders, our leaders. Y'all can go ahead and take your place out there. And again, I just want to add my thanks to you guys for tolerating the way we're having to come in and get out. Uh, it does feel like we've maybe hit a little tipping point in 2020 to 2021, but and thank you for keeping those masks on. As long as you wear them, we'll keep meeting. And so, uh, and, and hopefully we do soon, maybe this summer, get to a place where some of those inconveniences go away. But I see that as your expression of love for us as well. And those who can't wear masks, thank you for joining us online. We know it's sacrifice for you not being here. And I, I, I want it, we're about to close here praying together in a song. And we're gonna sing this prayer asking God to be glorified in us, right? And that is what we're singing, right? We're not singing that? <laughs> you, can we sing that? We can? Y'all are awesome. Okay. I thought that's what we were singing last is be glorified. Okay. Okay. All right. Now we are singing a prayer. <laughs> See, he just, he goes with the spirit. Sometimes the spirit works through me, I guess. Um, but we're going to be singing this prayer, asking God to be glorified in us, in our life. And I want you to sing this prayer, praying that God do that in your life individually, in our life as a church. But as we pray this together, don't miss, don't miss that what you're asking God to do is to make you and make us into a people who reflect him with each other and to the world. And that means you're asking God in a very real and practical way to take what we know is true theologically and incarnate it into our lives practically making you into a love first person. So let's stand and let's pray.